sheltered in the arms of God. That's good. Amen. All right. Well, take your Bible tonight. Turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. We're going to start there, and then we're going to go ahead and move on to verse 4, right on through verse 14. You ever have those situations where you got, you feel like maybe you're getting sinuses or something and your ear starts going crazy? My ear's going crazy. It's fluttering. Fortunately, it's not my heart. Yeah. Yeah, my dad's got that heart thing going right now. It's not a flutter, but it's that AFib thing and uh, all of that stuff. And a number of folks in the church have had either that flutter in their heart or some kind of AFib or something like that. That stuff can be pretty detrimental, pretty tough on your body. Uh, this is just annoying. All right, so 2 Timothy chapter 3. It's going to end in just a moment. 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. This know also, that in the last days, perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers' lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds, reprobate concerning the faith. But they shall proceed no further, for their follies shall be manifest unto all men, as theirs also was. But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Father, we come to you tonight and we ask, Lord, that you'd speak to our hearts and may we be encouraged tonight from the word of God. We are in need of your truth. Father, we live in a day where truth is not seen as the gold standard anymore. And Father, we as believers still hold it true today. We want you to reveal truth to us. We want to embrace truth and live the truth. Father, help us tonight to be encouraged by it. Now, Father, use us tonight as we prepare our minds and as we prepare our spirits, Father, for the work ahead, the battle that it is to certainly ensue, Lord, may we be prepared so that we can truly serve you in a way that brings glory and honor to you. Father, we love you now and we thank you. We're praying that you will just meet with us tonight, be glorified in this service, and Lord, 
May you fill me with your Holy Ghost. May I be your mouthpiece tonight. Lord, help me, Father, to say those things which will please you, that will ultimately inspire your people to godliness and holiness. And Father, may you enable us tonight to hear with spiritual ears. Now, Father, may you just protect the seed that will be sown in the hearts of men and women, boys and girls tonight. And may you put a hedge about us that the devil cannot come and steal it away. We'll thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. As we look at this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, we note the reality of things. In verse 1, he says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. That's interesting as we look at our world today, and I thought this as I just read it, not so much as I was reading throughout this week or earlier, but as I just read it now, I thought the first thing that could easily come to our mind is conflict. Things like what we see going on in the world overseas right now. We think, oh boy, perilous times. Here they are. They have certainly come without a doubt. First of all, this was written a number of years ago, right? There's been so many conflicts from the time this was written to this moment in time. No doubt about that. So I'm not really convinced based on what I'm reading that he's necessarily talking so much about warfare or conflict like that. As we note, he says, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud. He's saying, let's go into looking at what really is the problem. It's a spiritual issue. Perilous times will be a spiritually perilous time too. Not just physically, although it will manifest itself in that realm, we need to understand that God's main focus and concern is on the spiritual well-being of this earth and mankind. He says, thou this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Well, how will we characterize those? What's the reason for these perilous times? Well, he says, okay, here's the reason for it. Men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud. And he goes through this long list and he spends the next three or four verses describing the reason for these perilous times that we're going to note in the last days. And he basically says they are direct, the the reason for these perilous times is selfishness and sinfulness. That's the reason for it. When we fail to apply biblical principles and instead disobey God, we become masters of our own demise. We see the reality, the perilous times shall come. No doubt they manifest themselves in aspects like warfare. No doubt, because where pride gets involved and where self gets involved, where power and prestige and preeminence Boy, all of that stuff will drive us to horrible brinks and bad places. We see the reason, though, ultimately is selfishness and sinfulness. The result, he says, how will this begin to turn out? How will it play out? Well, verses 6 through 9, folks will be deceiving and being led astray. So, folks deceiving others and leading others astray. That's what we're going to see happening. I mean, this is a spiritual warfare we're seeing then. It's not just physical, it's spiritual. People learning, but never able to come to the truth. So they're going to be amassing knowledge, but not the right knowledge. 
They're going to be learning things, but not the right things. There'll be a spirit of defiance toward authority and the word of God. Men of corrupt minds will possess a total disregard for the faith. So the reality, perilous times shall come, the reason, selfishness and sinfulness, the result will be deception and people being led into deception, people seeking knowledge and understanding and wisdom, but learning the wrong kind of wisdom and, and, and receiving the wrong kind of learning and the wrong kind of truths, if you will, the false truths. Authority and the word of God will be disregarded and corruption will seem to grip the hearts and minds of many. We see a reminder, however, in verse 10. He says, but thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which come unto me at Antioch, the Iconium, and Lystrum. He goes on to say, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Man, even though the world continues to grow cold and indifferent toward God and believers choose to disregard scriptural truth and instead allow their flesh to lead, he says, I have remained faithful. I continue to fight the good fight. I continue to run the race. I haven't given up on God and God hasn't given up on me. We see the resolve in verse 13. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But... Continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. He's saying don't expect things to get better necessarily. Don't always just think it should just turn around and everything go back to normal. He's saying, listen, the world is going to grow colder toward me. Oh, yes, there are times in our history where revival came across our nation and it transformed it. And may I say, I believe still to this day that God can do whatever God wants. And I believe that if the people of God can get in the right place, that God can use them to bring revival to their, their churches and to their homes, their families, their communities, and who knows, maybe a nation and even the world. But in general, the apostles saying, listen now, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Don't necessarily expect or look for things to get better. Don't place your hopes in mankind or his efforts. Amen. Again, we're not evolving. We're devolving. He says, rather continue in the things that you have learned and know concerning Christ and his ways. This is not a time to depart from what you've been taught. It's a time to draw nigh to it and embrace it. It's not a time to disregard the things of Christ or the word that you grew up learning from mama and daddy and grandma and grandpa. It's time to draw closer. It's time to embrace those truths. As the world grows darker, you are to continue to draw closer to the light. He says the eyes of the believer cannot be fixed on fallen man is what he's in, 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 implying here. Instead, it needs to be fixed on the unfailing word of God and its author, the Lord Jesus Christ. We see the reality, the reason, the result, the reminder, and the resolve. And Paul, then in his letter to the Corinthians, summarizes these thoughts. 
He comes together now and he says, okay, listen, let me summarize what's really going on here. Let me kind of make it clear. Let me give you kind of a picture or an illustration of what's transpiring and taking place. Turn, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 through 27. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we're going to read a passage that probably tonight to many of you is pretty familiar. Notice what it says here. It says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize? So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now, they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. In this particular passage, Paul is likening the Christian life to a race. And again, we noted earlier in, in our passage in Timothy that he's expressing that there's going to be tough times. It's going to be difficult times, and we're going to have to stand strong and stay faithful, and we're not going to be able to bend and move toward the world. Instead, we're going to have to take a stand on those things which we have learned already. And in this case now, he says, okay, let me sum it up. And, and again, I, I, I'm connecting the two together. I'm not, Paul necessarily didn't connect the two as I'm doing tonight, but I'm bringing his message now and saying, now listen, the tough times are going to come. And he's saying to us, you've got to stand and you're going to have to continue to dwell and focus on the things you've learned. Well, guess what? He pictures it as a race. There's nothing easy about a race. Just outside the city of Corinth, they had what was called the Triennial Games, the Greek Games. That's where they were held, outside the city of Corinth, and these games were extremely famous. As a matter of fact, when Paul was writing this particular passage in Corinthian, in, in, in this particular Corinthian passage, the, the, those particular games, the Triennial Games, were even <clears throat> were, were overshadowing, if you would, the Olympian Games at that time that they were almost more popular than even those. And we know to this day we still celebrate the Olympic Games. But the Triennial Games were extremely popular. And of course the Corinthians were very proud of these games because they put their city on the map, so to speak. People from all over would come and participate in these games. Paul draws on this very popular athletic event to give us this illustration of how we should live in view of the judgment seat of Christ as we face the future, as we consider tomorrow. And he pictures a race in which you and I are to run. The stadium that the Corinthians were familiar with measured about 600 feet or about an eighth of a Roman mile. Paul says, run this race. You run. But not only race, but race to win. And he understands that all the Corinthians could see these competitors racing. They watched as they prepared even locally and would get ready for this big, I guess, event. It took a lot of training. 
a lot of preparation. And you know, training requires self-control and self-discipline. When a person prepares for or enters an athletic event or contest like this, (laughs) they're going to have to get their body in shape. They're going to have to get their weight under control, their muscles, lungs, reflexes, and endurance built up. Because see, the goal, the goal is to cross the finish line first. And that means it's going to affect for a while, at least in preparation, without a doubt, their diet, their schedule, their lifestyle. It's going to affect every aspect of their life. And so Paul is pointing out to you and I as believers that we can't expect to be useful to God if we don't submit to a disciplined program of daily preparation. That every one of us as believers needs to understand that we are in a race. This battle that's taking place, these difficult times that we're facing is going to demand an element of dedication and consecration. It's going to require us to prepare and ready ourselves. We're not just going to walk out into this world and be a success. We have to actually make preparation. We have to work hard. We have to train, if you will. In Hebrews, we're given another picture. It reinforces the need to deny self and discipline our lives in the day and age in which we live. Turn into Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. So we read about these perilous times that will come. Paul says, listen, it may not get better. It may only get worse, but for sure, don't you dare look to the world to change in the positive direction. They're always going to digress, not go the right direction. They're not going to evolve. They're going to devolve. And I'm telling you, you need to prepare yourself because it's as though you are in a race. And in running that race, you must make preparation. You've got to train hard. You've got to prepare your body, your soul, and your spirit to face these difficult times. And then in Hebrews chapter 12, the writer says, Wherefore, verse 1, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that's set before us. Boy, we see those witnesses in verse 12 right there at the beginning. The grandstands are full, full of onlookers. We see the weight. And the Bible tells us here that we must discard anything that hinders our progress. The writer of Hebrews, whether it's Paul or another writer, continues in the same vein of a race. Man, I mean to tell you, the track is set, the race is prepared, and we are in it, and and the grandstands are full, and the weight will only hinder and hamper our ability to run. you got to discard it, he says. And then there's the work itself or the race itself that demands dedication and determination. Listen, if you're going to stand for Jesus Christ in the day and age in which we live, it's going to take some dedication and determination. It isn't going to come easy. You're going to have to deny yourself. You're going to have to make up your mind there's something more important than simply pleasure in your life. Comfort will not be key if you seek to honestly and always please the master. It's going to be self-denial. Again, it's not that the Christian life is such a drag. 
What a bummer to be a Christian. Man, there's a great blessing that awaits us, not only in the future, but even presently, as we are obedient to Christ and the Word of God. But my friend, let me tell you, we are going to stand in opposition. We are going to stick out like a sore thumb. Today, we face a battle or a race. And like any battle or race, it's difficult. So is our time on this side of heaven. It's difficult. It's challenges that we must face. It's a battle. It's a race. I have done some racing in my day. And I've done some running in my day. And I'll be honest with you, I'm not a real fan. I still remember being a little kid and running and running and running. And I'd be like, why? Oh, man, why does my side hurt so bad? You ever get your side hurting when you run? That never happened when I got older, though. I just didn't run. But anyway, but, but boy, I remember when I was younger running, and man, my side would hurt. Boy, running causes some pain. Causes pain. I remember being in the military and preparing for battle. I never had to go to, to actual war. I didn't have to do that. Praise God, I was spared that. But there are men in our room tonight, with us tonight, that have been. Just preparing for it was uncomfortable. Just getting ready for it was not easy. I can't even imagine literally facing warfare. All I'm saying is, is that these things are difficult, and you and I, as believers, are guaranteed to face obstacles and difficulties and trials and tribulation. It's a battle. It's a race. Secularism continues to be advanced in our culture. An anti-God agenda exists which neglects absolute truths and instead encourages amoral behavior. In a recent article entitled Gender Identity, it said concerning gender, quote, however, gender isn't about someone's anatomy. It's about who they know themselves to be. There are many different gender identities, including male, female, transgender, gender neutral, non-binary, agender, pangender, genderqueer, two-spirit, third gender, and all, none, or a combination of these. <clears throat> now listen to what, now this is what's so alarming. This is extremely alarming to me. Now watch, listen to this. The article, like so many others, just like it, was on a website called Teen Talk. Well, I don't know about you, but last I checked, you become a teenager at 13. I'm going to tell you, you better be real careful what your children are looking at on the internet. Teen Talk sounds pretty innocent, but it isn't. It's indoctrination. It's a battle we're in. We're in a battle, and, and it's not easy. Mom and Dad, it's not going to be easy to ensure your children are looking at the right things and reading the right things and hearing the right things. No, it's a battle. It's going to cost you comfort. But their minds and their futures are at stake. Excuse me, as Christianity becomes less and less popular, the gulf between a biblical worldview and a secular worldview 
is clearly growing. Our position and views will become more and more politically incorrect. Our stand on moral and ethical issues is going to be viewed as combative, intolerable, and even irresponsible. I mean, I want you to consider this issue of abortion. Again, there continues to be legislation being uh, you know, shared or presented that seeks to either not ban abortion necessarily, but to limit abortion, right? People say, well, we want it to be no more than 20 weeks, and after that, no abortion. We want it to be less than six weeks. We want it to be less than, and everybody's got this idea. Let me tell you something, first of all. I, you know, I appreciate, I appreciate politicians who want to somehow rein that thing in. But can I tell you, until they just do away with it, they'll still be aiding and abetting murder. I, I, I appreciate the, the I, I do, I really do. I get excited when I hear about some political figure that says, man, we got to get a handle on this abortion. But I'm always amazed at how many Christians are like, praise the Lord, a victory. What's a victory? Six weeks conceived or 60 weeks conceived? And I know that would be a bummer for a mom. <laughs> You've just given birth to a 24-pound baby. <laughs> I hope she's about 6 foot 10, 450 pounds. Otherwise, it's an ugly sight. But nonetheless... <laughs> wow. I've seen some big babies, but that's that's that you know that that's kind of like Goliath brand. But anyway, listen to this. Now, I want you to hear this because it's sad. I understand every time somebody attempts to do something like that, there is severe backlash from the world. But here's what surprises me. There are some self-proclaimed Christians who find those kind of attempts unnecessary and even inconsiderate. Now, now listen, let me, let me read something that was written after a politician offered or submitted a, presented, a, I guess, a, a ban on abortion. Here's what was said. This is not the world. This is supposedly a Christian. Quote, women seek abortions for many different reasons. God trusts and empowers us to make the best decisions for ourselves and our families. It's not our place to judge a woman's personal decisions. God calls us to offer compassion, respect, and support so she can be at peace with whatever decision she makes. We believe this not in spite of our faith, but because of it. Did you hear what she said? We believe this because of our faith. We believe that, oh, now listen to me. If you had an abortion and you're here tonight, you claim the blood of Jesus Christ, you ask for his forgiveness, and you move on with life and let God bless you and your family. Don't, don't you live in the past and don't you bear this horrible burden because I've watched it happen and it'll eat somebody alive until finally they can't stand life itself and may even take their own life in regards to it, but I'm telling you, we serve a wonderful God that is extremely gracious and forgiving and long-suffering, and he will forgive that, and you can move on from it. Do not let the devil use it to literally just freeze you in your tracks 
and keep you from moving forward for God. But let me say this too. Just because some have made the mistake and the error and have failed to follow through with a biblical position doesn't mean that we excuse it so that they don't feel any guilt. My friend, when we make a sinful move in our lives, we need reminded how sinful it is so that we don't revisit it and others around us recognize the need not to do it. Man, this is horrible to me. I'm telling you, attitudes within the church today are becoming more and more secular. It's going to make our battle and our race even more difficult as we move forward. Because we're not going to only be standing against the world, we may be standing against so-called brothers and sisters in Christ. What did the, the devil, the, the, basically, when, when, the, when the Antichrist shows up, he is going to divide families. We see how easy that's going to be. Just in the last few years, we have watched how division can come to even homes. And I'm telling you, he's got this thing figured out. He's been observing and he's been studying human behavior for over 6,000 years. He figured it out. He knows what he's doing. He may not know what I'm thinking, but he's probably pretty close. He's seen enough of me's along, the, along history's timeline. By the way, we're not that much different, you and I. We're all very much the same. And the devil's not stupid. He knows this. He knows that the buttons that move me will probably move you too. That in the end, he'll find them. Boy, I'll tell you what, we are in a battle at every turn. At every turn, we find ourselves in a moral and ethical battle which could swallow us up if not careful. Now, sure times are tough. And without doubt, life can be difficult. But that's what races are all about. We know that the race will demand plenty of work, a lot of sweat, even pain, if we hope to cross the finish line a winner. I still remember my dad teaching me over and over and over again. Son, when you see the finish line, you just push yourself all the more. You push it as hard as you can. You sprint to the finish line. I still remember that. And man, I mean to tell you, he was there making sure it happened. Listen, you and I can't afford to quit. We can't consider retreating. Man, we're in a battle. We can't retreat. we got to finish the race. Not only are those watching in heaven, there are those that are watching in heaven, but there's those that are watching us here on earth. Man, our lives are living proof of the reality and the goodness of God. We got to keep fighting. We got to keep running. We got to keep striving. Corinthians 6 9, Galatians 6 9 says, And let us not be weary in well doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. 1 Corinthians 15 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Now, what I want to remind you about this evening is that no matter how tough and difficult the race gets, that you're called to run, it's going to end. It's going to end. John chapter 9, verse 4, the Lord Jesus said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. Do you know that every race has a finish line? I mean, if it's truly a race, there's got to be a finish line. And by the way, somebody does have to win. 
I want to win my race. You want to win your race? You're not called to race against me. I'm not called to race against you. I'm running my race and you run yours. And I'm going to run it to win. You need to run yours to win. Every race has a finish line. And when we reach the finish line, the battle's over. Then there are some things that we're going to be able to do. Number one, when the race is over, then we can rest. Then we can rest. Man, today, God gives us the ability and the opportunity to put our swords into the sheath. You know, they they wear that sheath, you take the sword, remember they pull it out and they're ready for battle. God allows us to put it in there. He doesn't want us taking it off in this life, though. Psalm chapter 91, verse 1 says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. In Psalm 57, 1, the psalmist says, Be merciful unto me, O God, be merciful unto me, for my soul trusteth in thee. Yea, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed. The Lord provides us rest as we come apart for fellowship, His fellowship. As we realize that true rest and relaxation, if you will, and restoration takes place in the presence of Christ. You know, one of the things the devil's done to us is he has deceived us and he has really messed us over. He's convinced us that recreation is the way to relax and rest. He's defined what recreation is, though. Hey, listen, there is nothing wrong with kicking back, taking a walk, even watching a show. I don't have a problem with those things. But when we get to the point where we believe those are the things that provide us the rest we need to be restored in the fight and in the battle, we've messed up. The devil has lied to us. I don't know about you, but boy, when I get really drained and emotionally, spiritually down, I think, man, I just need to go pray. Man, I got to get in the book. Man, I need something to light me back up. I need some, a shot in the arm. I need infused with some truth. You get that way, don't you? But boy, the devil gets us thinking, man, if we could only binge watch a show. If we could only just work out regularly. We don't have time to read our Bible, but if we can just work out, we'll find restoration. If only I could spend more time out with the wife or the family, if only we could do this, if only I could do that, then I'd feel restored and refreshed. I'm telling you, the believer finds his true restoration in the presence of Christ. At least when it comes to this battle, it's a spiritual battle. Get your sleep. Don't step all night on your phones or on your tablets or in your computers or watching the television. Let's be honest. We all stay up too late sometimes watching and looking at things we shouldn't. Oh, and I say shouldn't in the sense that we should be sleeping. We go, man, I didn't realize how late it was. Now you wake up in the morning, you're tired and dragging. And you're like, man, I shouldn't have watched that. I should have went to bed earlier. We got to learn to discipline ourselves. I'm, I struggle with that. I never want to go to sleep half the time. I hate the end of days. I feel like my days are numbered. I don't want to give up on any of them. Hold on to them. 
Squeeze every ounce of it out. When the race is over, though, we're going to be able to rest. You know, the Bible, we find a word, it pops up 75 times. The word's used three times in Habakkuk, and it's used 72 times in the book of Psalms. It's the word selah. The word selah stands for a break, a pause, or a rest. When you see selah in a so- the songbook of the Bible, and that's the book of Psalms, it points us to the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. It reminds us that in that day there will be a great rest. Until then, we bear our sword. Oh, there are times we can put it in the sheath. There are times we can put it away and find our place before Christ and get built back up and strengthened and restored again. But that sword has to come back out because we're still in a battle and we're in a race. But one day, the race will be over. We'll be able to rest. Number two, when the race is over, then we can reminisce. And I have uh, two brothers that live out of town, and I have one that lives locally, but when my two brothers from out of town come into town and all four of us get together, it seems that the past always comes up, and we begin to reminisce about old times and the days of old. My brothers, it's amazing to me the memories that they have. I'm not talking about the memory. I'm talking about their memory, to remember the memories. I sit in awe of them. They bring up story after story after story. And then that story just kind of dovetails into that story. And that story to another story. And it's just amazing. I've told you before, and maybe you've forgotten, but my brother Ed says he remembers being birthed. (laughs) He remembers the birth canal on the way out and seeing the bright light at the end of the tunnel. I said, dude, you are very smart. I'll give you that. But I got to think you're delusional. When he told me that, I've lost it. Uh, I don't know. I've heard of John the Baptist. Maybe he was filled from the. He was filled. The Bible says with the Spirit in the womb of his mother. Maybe Ed was the same way. I don't know. And he just. <laughs> but these guys and their stories, man, I'm telling you. My boys, uh, uh, you know, girls, they'll get with us, and we'll sit around and listen to that stuff. Some of them stories you wish they wouldn't tell. But boy, I'll tell you what, it's great getting together, isn't it? Reminiscing and just remembering the things that have transpired and taken place. It's amazing. It's just amazing. And how much I love to get together with my brothers like that. Hey, listen, when the race is over, we're going to all get together and reminisce. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 11, the Bible says, And I say unto you, that many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Man, we're going to be gathered together with them Old and New Testament saints and we're going to be kicking around stories. Man, I want to have a few good ones myself. I mean, I don't, I'm never going to be able to say, oh, by the way, by the way, uh, uh, Moses, let me, let me, I'm going to top the Red Sea. I'm probably not going to top the Red Sea. You know what I mean? But I want to share something too. Man, I I can't wait to reminisce, to hear those old stories from the mouth of of the people who actually saw them firsthand, and then to be able to share things God's done for me and my family and our ministry here. And I know you can't wait to either.
Man, I'll tell you what, right now we're in a battle, no doubt, and it can seem rather dreary and it seems like it's overwhelming at times. But let me tell you something, there's coming a day when the race is over, then we'll rest. When the race is over, then we'll reminisce. Finally, when the race is over, then we can rejoice. Oh, uh, there's rejoicing in the life, this life today too, but... I don't know about you, but I can't imagine what it's going to be like then. In Revelation, turn if you would please to chapter 19. Revelation 5, uh, 19, verse 5. Sometimes as we begin to consider the world we live in, man, it's all negative. It's so critical. There's so many things that as a believer we look upon and we, we just kind of, if not careful, find ourselves even maybe discouraged or, God forbid, depressed. Boy, there's so many good things to look forward to. Man, we're not always going to be battling. We're not always going to be running the race. We're not always going to have a side ache. It's going to be good stuff. And let me tell you, it's worth it all. Look at Revelation 19.5. It's going to be some rejoicing. And a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants, ye that fear him both small and great. And as I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of a mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. Man, we are going to be with our, 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 our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Man, we are going to rejoice like nobody's business. Man, all the shouting and the praise that we experienced down here. Man, that song the choir sang tonight. I don't know about you, man. I was getting fired up. I love that song. That was good. Yeah. They did a great job on that song. And I was fired up. I got to, I, I, amen. Man, I was like, mm. But all the shouting and the praising that we can do down here, it's just a prelude. It's a warm up for what's coming in heaven. When the race is over, we're going to rest. We're going to reminisce. We're going to rejoice like never before. When our faith is no longer needed, and we are literally in the very presence of the Lord Jesus Christ in that glorious city, what rejoicing we're going to experience. In Ecclesiastes, Solomon lists, he, has a, he shares a list of times. Listen to these times he, he mentions. In chapter 3 of Ecclesiastes chapter 2, he says, A time to be born, and a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to pluck up that which is planted, a time to kill, and a time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones, and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to get and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to rend and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time, to, a time of war and a time of peace. All I know is that on earth there's a time for a lot of things. But in heaven, when we've laid those weapons down, and we find our eternal peace and rest, there's going to be a time of rejoicing like never before.
Revelation 21.4 says, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. When the race is over, we can rest. We can reminisce. We can rejoice. Sure, we're going to face some perilous times. Running the race will require some self-control and self-discipline. But in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, the apostle says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. We have so much to look forward to. Don't lower the sword. Hold it high. Stay in the battle. Don't retreat. Let's give God our very best tonight and into the future. It's not always going to be easy. The devil's going to throw a number of curveballs at us. And he may even hit us from time to time. We've got to stay strong and stand strong. And remember that there's a day coming, a day of rest, a day of reminiscence, a day of rejoicing. I wonder, when it's all said and done tonight, how do you want to be remembered when you die? I mean, what do you want to accomplish for the Lord even this next year? What do you see yourself doing in five years for the Lord? If you were standing before the Lord and he asked you, what are you doing for me with the life that I give you or have given you, how would you answer? Who else is affected by your faith tonight? And finally, can you think of any way that your influence in the lives of others on behalf of Christ could be greater than it is now? Can you think of any way that could be possible? We're in a battle, a race. The apostle made it very clear in Scripture. We are so blessed to know that one day, We'll be able to lay those swords down and enjoy rest. Reminisce and rejoice like never before. But until then, let's hold the banner high. Let's stay in the battle. Let's make sure that we're busy about the work of the Master. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for this time we've had together around your word. We pray, Lord, that you would be magnified and exalted this evening. Again, Lord, we're thankful for just your word. And, Lord, there's no doubt that as believers we face many obstacles in life. Lord, the world faces obstacles. As believers, Lord, some of ours are at times maybe a little more on the spiritual side. We recognize at least that the physical and the spiritual connected, that somehow Satan will use the physical to affect us spiritually. But Lord, we thank you for the wonderful promises that greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. That Lord, we can be more than victors. That Father, this present life in which we live, 
These sufferings in this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Help us, Lord, now to fight the battle, to run the race, and Lord, just to honor you with our life and lips. We'll thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all